Welcome back to the podcast. This is the E6 podcast from Colonial Church, a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what is going on in the world, how it all applies to our lives as followers of Jesus. My name is Brooke, and this is episode number 59. Hey, Lauren. How you doing, man? I'm all right. Yeah? I'm doing good. It's rainy outside. Wanted to stay in bed this morning. Monday, March 21st. Isn't this... Is this the first day of spring? I don't know. I don't pay attention to any of that stuff anymore. I usually find out later. I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't change anything because it was still rainy. And sure, now it's spring. Did the groundhog go back in now? And <laughs> we can all make all that go away and <laughs> move on with our lives. It's supposed to be nice this week, I think. Right? I think it is supposed to be nice after today. After I today, think today nice, is a yeah. long this is this is a nap day. I wish I wish uh, <sighs> For real. I have a long day of getting a lot of stuff done. Yeah. But for any of you that are able or were able <laughs> you should to take a nap, this is like got take nap day advantage. written all over it. it is does. there anything better than a, than a an afternoon unrushed nap Ugh. with the rain beating down on the windows? Like, do those such, happen anymore? No, with I children? don't. I vaguely remember having one of those <laughs> at some I, point. I feel like that was something that happened prior to kids. I don't. I don't. That's know. actually probably right on. Yep. Uh, I know it's like you like with like the grandparents take the kids and and you you look at your wife and just like we could take a nap. <laughs> what if we just took a nap? Like it's not really taking advantage. Is it taking? Maybe it's taking advantage of the time. It's always like that. Like aren't we supposed to go do stuff? But it would be cool to just rest. I think that's part of getting older. <laughs> is I go on a vacation and I'm like, oh, we get to take naps. <laughs> oh, that's so great. We could we could do this. Okay, before we dive into anything here, yes. Um, we have an interview that you did, and I have not listened to, so I cannot speak to. So set us up for this interview that we're going to listen yes. to here in a little bit with Attached RJ. Attached to today's podcast episode, uh, in fact, uh, in just a moment, you can jump right to it, and Brooke and I will never know. Boo. Be offended, zero. <laughs> uh, but I purposely, I, for those of you that don't know, I talked to my good friend and mentor, RJ Kerper. Uh, who still lives in Golden, Colorado, on the west side of Denver. We talk almost every Friday. We have a little FaceTime chat, and uh, he graciously has agreed to do that uh, more often than not with me. And we're, we're good friends, and so a lot of it's just silly banter, probably like our podcast, and uh, we talk sports and movies and other things. But, but on a real important level, uh, we talk about Jesus. We talk about the harder things in life. Uh, he is a good big brother to me. And we just had such a, a good conversation this past Friday morning that I asked him if he would join me. And so earlier this morning on Monday, March 21st, we did a little Zoom chat. I recorded it, and Brooke's going to attach it to today's episode. Two things. Uh, one, he is very connected to the church at large in Ukraine. Mm. Uh, very connected personally to a bunch of pastors. He's been a part of a ministry that has trained a lot of pastors there. He has spoken and exchanged texts with people in real time the last few weeks and uh, just brought it home for me. And so I just strongly encourage you to take a few minutes to listen to the interview. If nothing else, this, this event that still seems surreal probably to a lot of us going on on the other side of the planet, or at least the other side of the Atlantic, uh, he just brought it home, just made it real. And, and it, it's a call again, for us to be praying for people over there that are suffering big time, uh, a call to pray for the church as they rally to, to minister to people. 
Um, and then secondly, uh, we talked about David in the dark yesterday in the cave uh, from 1 Samuel 20, 22. And I mentioned on Friday that I would be there with, with our church on Sunday. And RJ just got all excited. And he's lived it. He's lived a deep, dark cave experience. He has seen God work in the darkest moments to transform him. And he had several, I just think, really encouraging things to say. So for two huge reasons, um, definitely check out the interview with RJ today. Cool. So we'll have that coming up here in a little bit. But first, there's so much going on. How was your spring break? Uh, my spring break was really good. Yeah. Uh, my wife... Tell us about your trip. And I just went in two different directions, which was kind of weird, but... Mm-hmm. My wife and uh, a couple of our kids went down to Houston to see her side of the family, and simultaneously, I took our 16-year-old Emily on a just a one-on-one daddy-daughter special trip. We flew up to Richmond, Virginia, to see some dear longtime friends. Uh, their 16-year-old and Emily are, are just lifelong friends. I think um, they bear hugged and wept at the airport. It was so fun mm-hmm. as a dad to see that, and then. Uh, the the father uh, Kyle he's a he's a lifelong friend we did ministry together in Houston we're both rabid Baylor sports fans both went to Baylor at different times he's a little younger than me um, it was a great trip got home super late Saturday night and uh, jumped into to life again with our our folks here yesterday it was a great spring break overall um, it's cool. How about you? You you took some time off. Did you guys go somewhere, or did you just lay low? We went uh, we went over to Plano and hung out with the hung out with the family and okay, and um, had some food and and uh, in laws my in laws came down a little bit you know earlier in the week and then uh, kids got to spend the weekend playing with the cousins and good um, following the grandparents around or the grandparents following them around doing Excellent. doing whatever it is they wanted to do and. Playing croquet in the yard. You played croquet in the uh, yard? Apparently. People still do that? I didn't. Uh, they did, apparently. I and remember doing that as a kid, actually. <laughs> so they had fun doing that, so I don't know. I don't I don't know. I think I'm still wounded by <laughs> vague memories of somebody. Like, you know how you send somebody's ball, like, off into Never Never Land? Yeah. Like, they, you put your foot on your own ball, and yeah. you just whack you just hammer it. it. Yeah. I think I have vivid... I mean, that makes sense. I said vague. I think I have vivid, vivid. deep, scarring They're memories yeah. of someone just sending my ball into somebody else's yard. Mm, you and RJ <laughs> can talk about that next yeah, week. I have issues I need to unpack. There. <laughs> yeah, no, we, it was good. It was good. We had fun. Um, wife and I just got to kind of chill instead of well, do anything, and so that's kind of nice. That's and, one of the gifts of having the grandparents around is yes. they take a little of the edge off. It's true. Yeah. It's true. The uh, the kids want to wake them up in the mornings to yes. go do things rather than waking And you're perfectly fine with up. that. That's right. Uh, so speaking of Baylor, how is your bracket doing? I saw yesterday that there wah, are no wah, like no perfect brackets left wah, anymore. Yeah. March Madness has been mad. We My, have a, a 15 seed that's made it to the Sweet 16. That's the fun part, though. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, I as a Baylor fan, I'm bummed, but we won the national championship last year, and so I... I can't complain. (laughs) So our one seed Baylor guys got knocked out in the second round. Our two seed Baylor girls got knocked out in the second round. Oh, man. I didn't know Um, that. First time the girls didn't make Sweet 16 in like five or six years. Yeah, they're usually pretty pretty awesome. You know, this is not just about Baylor. This is a bigger sports point about March Madness is I didn't realize it until my Bears got knocked out. This is the fifth year in a row that the – defending national champions didn't make it out of the second round the next really? year. Really? Five years in a row. 
So would you say that's more parody or I don't or I, it's easier for people to jump to the next level? That's a great question. As parody's got to be part of it. I wonder if uh, just losing players, you know, yeah. one and dones or yeah. um, I don't know. Uh, for us, this year it was injuries. We <laughs> lost three guys to the NBA, and then you, you lose a couple guys to season-ending injuries, and you're kind of done. The end. You know? Basketball's not, you know, yeah. football with two deeps. and That's right. You know, you got your... You got what? You got your five to to seven guys. Yeah, what, 12 guys total? Is that what? I don't, I I don't think, remember I what think it is. you're allowed to have 12 on the team that, <laughs> that are eligible Football to play. Football has 55. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit different. Well, in college, you got like, I think you got something like 90, right? I don't even know what the... Oh, I don't know. Pro, pros it seems is, like so Pro many. football, I think it's 53. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that was two and a half minutes on sports. Sports! So we'll move on. Um, did you see that the Senate unanimously voted to stop changing clocks. I did see that. They they decided that they were like this is dumb. We should stop doing this twice a year. And now we're now it's like it's a week later and so nobody cares anymore. <laughs> and so, yeah. And I'm like they and they they were talking about staying with daylight savings time, which means we're still not in sync with the rest of the world on standard time. Well, it's not going to happen, I think, for another year, though. It would, yeah, it was like it was whatever it was was like it would it would happen after we did daylight savings time in twenty three or something. I don't know, but I just thought that was interesting. It's that been is, a it, long time since it we've is seen interesting. The, uh, it's amazing how people Senate can, do anything unanimously. People, yeah, right. <laughs> it does seem like a popular, easy move for a politician. You know. Twice a year, but I don't. You have an opportunity. I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm excited about it. Like I, one of the things I read is that there's concern. I'm not going to speak accurately to this. I think I think it's in the 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 far east. I think the East Coast maybe, but I I think there's concern that during the winter there will be kids going to school, like going to school bus stops and uh-huh. things like that in the dark. Um, which I, you know. Because you're adding daylight to the end of the day. Yes. The yeah. days, yeah. And I don't know if if the way we've been doing the fallback and the spring forward and all that has, has alleviated that that safety issue. But that's that's a, a tiny example of, okay, this is not, it's not just a feel thing. It's not just a clear cut. Like there's actually ramifications yeah. to, okay, we're just going to stop doing that. Right. Oh, that, that sound great. No more change your clocks. Okay, but now you got your nine-year-old at a bus stop at uh-huh. eight thirty in the morning in the dark, and it's still dark. I, I. Now, granted, there's people living in Norway that are like, yeah, you know what? Six months of the year, it's dark. That's <laughs> like you have no sympathy. Well, yeah. My no family, sympathy my family months. lived in Alaska for a while, and I remember, I remember there was there was a time that we went, and it was we went during the day during the daylight, yeah, and so it was like daylight for like. Uh, 20 hours of the day. Right. And like we went golfing one time and we started at like 8 p.m. It was like. <laughs> you started around at yeah, 8 p.m.? Yeah, we started around, which is generally like three, four hours long. Yeah. Or, or five, depending on how many times you hit the oh, ball. Oh, my goodness. And we didn't start until like eight, six, like six, seven, eight, nine. Like, I don't remember what time it was, but it was like, it was like after dinner. And yeah. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. But I always was like, I never knew when to eat because I was always. Right. I was like, why am I so hungry? And then I'd be like, Oh right, because 
It was dinner time like two That's hours nice. ago, but it's still so bright outside that it feels like it's afternoon. And so, yeah, I, I get that. But then there's like the argument of of health things and all that. And sure. I just thought I'd, it's just funny that it is fascinating. I complain about it at least twice a year, <laughs> every year. Oh, I only complain about it once a year. Spring, I guess spring this, forward. I man. mean, I get it. Like least favorite night of the year right. for me. No, I agree. And take we away an hour to, of my sleep. <laughs> we always try to cheat with the kids. But the second one, when you sleep, when you can sleep in or you sleep longer, my kids wake up an hour earlier. And so it's it's like trying to figure out like when do we put them in bed because then they're up early because I don't know. Lock the door. I think it's annoying. <laughs> the whole thing is stupid, <laughs> in my opinion. That's just my opinion. You know, one one more recent reason why I just don't think it's that big a deal is like for us as a church, I mean, how I I know we, I know we uh, pushed out a notification Uh and Facebook posted and all that stuff about, don't forget to reset your clocks. I was going to say like, other than that one clock in your kitchen up high on the wall or the one on the oven or whatever, like we don't reset our clocks. Everybody's got phones and computers and everything that just updates automatically. And like, I, it's kind of a joke now. Like you don't have to worry about, Somebody, sh- I mean, granted, if you I, have kids, you have to worry about. Granted, it. I will say this, which makes no sense to me. Uh, when we sprang forward, was that two Sundays ago? Was that last Sunday? It was two Sundays ago. I thought it was last week. Wasn't yesterday? No. We, yeah, 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 so two Sundays. Eight ago. days ago for us. I I do remember uh, at the end of the eleven o'clock service, like we're winding down, so it's like twelve o five. There's people coming in, people walking in, and I'm like, what? How do you how do you get all the way? to noon before you realize with a phone you know and not know what time it is i'm judging uh-huh i'm judging yeah well you and i've both been involved in church long enough to remember the times that we had to do that and oh, you had to cell tell, phones and we told i mean it was like you it was couldn't like announce weeks it enough. ahead like yep. okay we gotta let you know still in had two people weeks, showing up clocks are changing yep. in two weeks or <laughs> next week do not forget this morning do not forget but you know what brooke times change you make fun of me all the time Boom. because was that, was that I, unintentional times change yeah was that was joking. not intentional <laughs> wow it's brilliant. So good. So good. <laughs> you make fun of me, though, and rightfully so, that uh, when I call you, or when I call, I do this to everybody, when I call someone, they go, hello, and I go, hey, it's Lauren. Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> even is though it? Is even it? though it says my name on their phone when I'm calling. Your picture pops up. <laughs> but it's like old school. Like, I don't, I still think in my head of days before cell phones uh-huh. and call waiting, and right. I just... I have to introduce myself. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, th- I think everybody who's roughly my age or older probably does that on the phone. Hey, it's, it's your mom. Like, I, I know. I'm, I'm aware. Thank I you. know. Your, fa- your big, goofy <laughs> face, the picture I saved, <laughs> comes up on my phone. But young people don't do that. They just go, hey. Hey. What's up? What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so I've, I've, we, I don't know why this came up. This came up this past weekend that we were talking about it. Um, when you answer the phone. Yes. And, and it, somebody calls you. And they ask to speak with Lauren. Yes. How do you respond? Oh, if they because ask to speak genera- with Lauren, I think it's generational in how you respond to this. Well, it's it's very different for me because <laughs> almost every time I say, "Oh, she's not available," she's not available. <laughs> Can I take a message? <laughs> Gets me out of all Cheater. kinds of junk. So, no. the, so the two options are, oh, well, maybe not two options, but like my my parents' generation, yeah, answered. They would say, "Oh, this is this is this is she." Like that's what my mom says. Yes. This is he. Yes. Like, hey, is 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 David there? Yeah, this is he. Right. You know? 
I'm like, what's the other option? What are you I, saying? I don't. I'm like, yeah, it's me. You just talking about grammar? Yeah. But it's like it's it's totally like I, I promise you this if you listen uh, and so my wife. Oh, I see what you're saying. My wife does it. My wife does it. How my parents do it. How her parents. She do says it. this is she. Yeah, every time, and it cracks me up. And I'm like, really? Is it she? <laughs> is it? She? I'm I'm confused. Like, I don't know. We need it. We need an English teacher with grammar <laughs> expertise to. I don't know. I don't. I don't really care. Let us I don't know. really care which one's grammatically correct. I just think it's funny that it seems like <laughs> that it's a generational way of. Uh, responding on the phone, so I don't know. It just seemed like a um, an interesting an interesting thought. So I was just curious if you had if if that was you know how you say that when you answer the phone because I don't know. <laughs> I still think we're living in 1987 <laughs> when I answer the phone. I think. Yeah, that's funny. I like that. I like that though. It's like, hey, this is this, hey, is, this Lauren. is Lauren. I know. I know, dude. I know. <laughs> I know. I get it. It's right here. Um, okay, so. Lessons from a King. We continued our series on David this week, and uh, we, you jumped forward to um, to maybe maybe the middle of maybe the middle of David's life. Yeah, that's fair. Middle of right? David's life. He still so has not. When you said that, I was like, "Whoa, hang on." There's a lot, but yes. then but then you kind of were still in the middle. So he hasn't become king right yet. He's still in the future. He's best buds with uh, with Jonathan, correct? Saul's kid. And then Saul is losing his mind and tries to spear him to the wall and just take him out and all those kinds of things. Yeah, in, re- in rereading the story of David, uh, which we did skip some of this part, he actually, Saul tried to kill David six times. Did you know that? Uh, six I mean, times. I've read it all. I don't know that I actually ever counted. Now, granted, I'm, I'm counting each time he threw the spear <laughs> as one <laughs> well, I mean, murderous attempt. Multiple attempts, yeah. yeah but it's... It's not just, you know, Saul had a bad moment. Yeah. You, you, when you tried, when's the last time you tried to kill somebody once? I was going to say, like, you I, know? I don't know that I've ever tried to kill anyone once. Six times. <laughs> Maybe it's a more brutal age that they lived in that that wasn't uh, I think so murder was, crazy. was murder. Yeah. But yes, to your point, we skipped way ahead. Uh, we've got three more week weeks where we're going to look at the life of David. There's so many different things you could... Uh, focus on and learn from lessons from. from you just didn't the, want to talk about giants. Um, I have no comment on that at this <laughs> juncture. Uh, but we, uh, I, I purposely wanted to get to the cave. I okay. think that's a central learning that we get from from the life of David because David is a hero. David yeah. is a larger than life historical figure. David slew the great giant. Mm-hmm. David was a great king, a man after God's own heart. And so to, to find him in the cave saying, God, where are you? Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody's here to help me. That's much more relatable, I think, to most of us. And I think it's important as, as Christians who are all a bit of a hot mess, you, me included, I just think it's, I think it's important. So, yeah, that's where we went yesterday. So he hits rock bottom. He's being chased uh they're trying to kill him Saul's trying to take him out doesn't want him to become king um is worried that uh that that David and his uh, that David's going to take over and take him out or whatever right is that is that too is that later uh I'm trying to think of the placement in this like well well, he's also Saul kills his thousands David kills his tens of thousands that's later that's later he's also in a couple different caves just to be clear with his merry men yep 
his no that's that's Robin Hood. Oh right, sorry. His mighty mighty men. men. Sorry, 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 sorry. That's close. His, one translation says his mighty men of valor. I was glad that you went to Robin Hood because as soon as you said that I don't even it was something about hiding in a cave and the misfits all came together and I was like that's Robin Hood and then you were like it's kind of like Robin Hood and I was like <laughs> oh hey there you go that's funny yeah. Okay, so he hits rock bottom, he's alone, he's run away, he's hiding in a cave, and um, like David in his emotional self throughout his life, he starts crying out to God because he's smarter than most of us, then we try to figure it out on our own, and he just says, dude, I can't do this, what the heck? I don't know that he said dude. He may have. You don't def- know. You weren't there. I wasn't there. In fairness, fairness, I'm not sure how you say "dude" in Hebrew. You didn't read his translation. Come on. The <laughs> to, to your point, I think he was raw and honest. Yes, and and I think um, <laughs> I think that's safe. I think yes. that one's safe to say yes. he was definitely raw. Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's at the risk of being redundant from yesterday. I don't know that I can articulate it well enough or say it strongly enough. One of the biggest lessons for me, and I think for us as Christians from the life of David, is that we mistakenly think that people like David are different. People like Moses, people like Peter, people like Paul. Yeah. yeah. They're they're larger than life, you know, just miracle workers. And and I don't have faith like them. And I can't experience God like them. And and yet I think in this specific part of David's life we see he he was in pain. He had failed in certain ways in his life. Things had not gone well. Mm-hmm. He was suffering. And the the one way that I do think you just said it that is fair to go wow, he is different that is inspiring is he still did not give up on God. Yeah. He still did not chuck his faith out the window. What little faith he had left in the moment. So that that's inspiring. And that that in a sense is other than, you yeah. know, it, it makes me want to be different than I am, so to speak. But the rest of it is he's just a shepherd boy. Yeah. He's just the youngest of a bunch of kids. He's just who is he that God would pick him mm-hmm. uh to be this great king? I, I think that's one of my favorite things is like when you, when you actually pay attention in, you know, not just this uh, surface level stories of the Bible, you know, when you stick with just that, that, you know, Noah saved everybody and Moses led the people out of Israel and David was a great king and, you know, Paul told the world and, yep. you know, it's like when, when that's the only view you have, you miss out on all of the ways that they're exactly just like They're we just are. like us. Can we go through that list real quick? Okay. Noah... Um, it's probably the one I'm. I remember the least, but he, he questioned. He questioned God when he was told what to yeah. do. Uh, he. I, I don't want to get into some of the rated R or or <laughs> or even NC seventeen parts of the Bible. Uh, but just let's just say there was some really dark things that happened in the yeah. life of Noah that that you don't want your kids to read about. Probably mm-hmm. um, Moses killed a man. Yep. Uh, literally murdered a guy. Uh, because he just was upset, just got angry, uh, disobeyed God and wasn't allowed to go into the wilderness. We talked about that, I think, on the podcast a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, Paul. Paul told the world, yeah, Paul had major issues. Paul had falling out with church leaders. Um, 
Paul was seen by some as arrogant. But even before that, he was... And before that, he was a murderer. Well, he, he, was, he, he was the... He the, was along with the religious, the leader of the, self-righteous leaders that were out to get Christians. Yeah, right. that's before he even came to Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Agreeing Pe- that, that um, uh, Stephen should be killed. Absolutely, and holding like, the coats. Oh, good job. Yep. Peter, who <laughs> was so awesome, such a hero. I mean, he denied Christ. He's like, no, nah, I don't know who that guy is, you know? Um. Jesus called Peter Satan at one point. Like that does it get any does it get any more like I don't know if this is the guy the, that I want to uh, be like. Jesus God, called him he, Satan. The you know? savior of the world was like, bro. No. Yes, he uh-uh. got broed by the by the son of God. Yes. I think he learned it from That's David. The Brook translation. He learned that from David. <laughs> but but we could go on and on. Name one person in all of scripture that only is up on a pedestal, only is amazing, only is someone I could never be like, oh, I want to, I wish I could be like that, without also having the, yeah. what a hot mess, what an awful choice that was, what a, what a, what a picture in that moment of a dark heart, mm. that's for all of them, and David, who, thankfully, we have so much, spoiler alert, He's a great king, but his family, his lineage after him, just, it falls apart. He, one of his sons is out to get him and, and take mm. his throne and kill him. And um, we haven't even gotten to, yeah. you know, some of the awful choices he made while he was a good king. Right. To to cheat on his wife and have someone else murdered so he could be yeah. with her. And I mean, we're going to get into that stuff. I think that. It's it's mostly really encouraging to me that I can I know what I am like at my worst moments. I know the thoughts I have in my head. I know in in fact I forgot who it was. I think it was Tim Keller. I can't remember which one of my pastor heroes said that if my people in my church knew all of my thoughts, then I would be fired. <laughs> And you know what? I'll just say it on the podcast. Yep, same. Yeah. You know, if if you were were there for my worst moments, if you were there for my um, the moments I just I lean into my flesh and and rebel. Um, none of us, none of us are qualified to. I'm not even talking about lead. None of us are qualified to call ourselves good to. To even say, as Paul did, follow me as I follow Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Really what I think Paul means, if I can go down that bunny trail, is yeah, follow me as Jesus is really gracious with me mm-hmm. <laughs> and really forgiving and experience that for yourself and let's keep going. Yeah. Well, I think this is another example of, um, as we've talked about, I think, multiple times in the past few weeks that you know God lets us hit rock bottom mm. before he's there to rescue us, before we can, you know, uh, the prodigal son again. Yeah, he waited. Dad dad lets him go. Okay, yeah. go go do your thing. Go go do your thing, whatever. And yep. then he gets that, he hits that, that bottom spot. And before he can finally actually be rescued, and David hits that rock bottom, um, and then therefore turns around and says, okay, all right, God, it's it's your thing. I think there's something to that really hard for us with the people we love. We just want want to prevent them from suffering, prevent them from hitting that rock bottom, uh, even if intuitively we know that's what's required for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
but yeah, I mean, that we're all messed up people and that we all have our issues and our insecurities that lead to bad decisions or, you know, whatever reactions and, and, uh, that God still chooses to use people. (laughs) That's always a great thing. Uh, The other, the other thing I'm still bouncing, I'm bouncing around in my head from, from this, this account in scripture is, um, thinking about how God does choose to change us, uh, in these low points of suffering, uh, in the dark, you know, I can, isn't, isn't, isn't time in so, so often a gift. Like I, when, when my wife and I were struggling through infertility for several years and miscarriages and sorrow and frustration and even anger at God, um, I couldn't see then the ways he was going to bring good out of that. I could not only could I not see the kids I was going to have someday, of course, mm-hmm. but I couldn't see how he was going to soften my heart toward other people suffering, even in different ways. I couldn't see, you know, to use the biblical term, I couldn't see the beauty that was going to come out of the ashes. All I could smell was the awful burnt wood smell, you know, and mm. the pain. And um, and then later, you know, I've, I've shared before openly, you know, when I got fired by a mega church in Denver, it was so humiliating mm. and so frustrating. Um, and I, I... I think I was I was a little more mature at that point, and I could appreciate that God was going to bring something good through that pain, but I couldn't see what it was was yet. Um, but there's something about reframing our suffering, um, and sometimes it does just take time. I think to look back on a hard season or a hard experience to be able to see the good things that comes out of it. I think I think that's fair. I, I can't help but wonder, though, uh, is there a way to choose in the dark, in the cave, to choose to be teachable, to choose to still believe in God's goodness and, and sovereignty and, and, um, and not just wallow in it, not just um, be numb uh, in that coping to what God wants to do. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it um, makes me think of, you know, the question, all right, so so bringing about good from from our circumstances um, makes me think of the, the, the phrase that, that gets thrown out there all the time that, well, everything happens for a reason. Everything happens for a reason, you know. Oh, you got cancer. Well, everything happens for a reason. So maybe there's something down the line that you're going to be able to help somebody because you got cancer, or God gave you cancer, or God took this family member, um, you know, or whatever, and uh, makes me think about uh, um, a, a movie that we did um, a while back uh, that, that dealt with grief um, in, in losing a child. And, you know, so, so it's that, it's that quick and easy, well, everything happens for a reason. So how do we, how do we keep that reframing with these things that happen in life, with the bad things that happen in life from the, you know, how do we keep these things in, in a good understanding of, um, sometimes we live in a fallen world and bad things happen. And, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that I, that I believe that God said, well, I need this bad thing to happen because, uh, always, that always there is any bad thing happen that God chose to make that bad thing happen mm-hmm. because we live in this fallen world versus, um, well, you know, the, 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 
the glib version of, well, everything happens for a reason, or that, that God turns, you know, that God works things, all things for the good of those who love him. Uh, how do we hold these things in, uh, in, in balance, and tension, in our heads, in making sense? Like, what do we do with all that? That's a great question. Brooke, you're, 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 you're asking a question that I think needs to be asked. I think, I think my, my really short answer is there's some really bad theology that's, that's stuck in there for us, at least at times. I hope that's a little bit of an attention grabbing (laughs) statement because, because if someone means when they say everything happens for a reason, if someone means that God purposefully did that, everything that happens, God purposely made happen. That's bad theology. That's Mm -hmm. not true. That is not true. Um, that's the whole point of free will. He is allowing us to choose something that he doesn't want to happen, that he did not orchestrate. Um, if you mean everything happens because of a cause, cause and effect, mm-hmm. then that's that's very different, you know? So I, I, I take a, like an example to me. Um, I'm thinking of... <laughs> You know, when, when the, the flood came back in the time of Noah, since you brought up Noah earlier, <laughs> and there are people that are seeing, I mean, maybe it, maybe it didn't last very long. Maybe they, they, they got to think about, you know, their, their life for a few seconds before they were, they were dead. But when they're thinking, they're trying to explain, why is this flood happening? Well, everything happens for a reason. If that comes in, well, you know what? In that case, yeah, God brought a slaughtering flood. Like it's, it's actually not a children's story. It's a pretty dark story, right? <laughs> I don't know why we paint our infants' rooms with Noah's Ark stuff. It's, it's a animals. massacre. It's a fun animal. But you know what? God did it. God said, you know what? I'm starting over. I'm, I'm starting over with this family and these animals and this creation. And, and you could argue that, yes, this awful thing happened for a reason, even a reason that we don't maybe not, not aren't able to sleep very well in our limited understanding of thinking about but then uh, let's get personal. Your wife, you know, struggling mm-hmm. um, with with COVID still. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it 15, 16 months now? Uh, no, actually hit a year. Oh, it just hit a year. Yeah, okay. in February. It's, well, still. I'm sorry. It seems, seems even longer because it's just <laughs> this ongoing, yeah. you know, you could call it chronic struggle um, with pain and frustration and fatigue and... Um, if someone said to you, in their to use your word, glib way of trying to provide comfort, well, everything happens for a reason. If they're saying well, God gave your wife long timers COVID, yeah, I would just raise my hand and go, "I that is a strong. St- I'm not comfortable mm-hmm. saying that authoritatively. Any of us saying that because what if God never wanted her to have that? What if God is grieving with her and with y'all?" And the reason there is things like COVID in the world is because of the fall. It's because things are not as they're supposed to be, that this world is infected with sin and therefore disease and death and disappointment, and God grieves with us. And so by saying everything happened for a reason, it's not that God necessarily gave her... This, this is what I would say, and I know we were talking about this a little bit offline. Am I open to the possibility that that God caused something bad to happen. Mm. You know, God, God caused something painful to happen. Absolutely. Who are we to, yeah. <laughs> who are we to know 
his says the Bible says his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are are higher than ours. He is other than. Yeah. But that's not consistent with his character. I, I think it's a safer assumption that the majority of the time, this is where my brain goes, majority of the time, no, that's not what God wanted. Can can God bring really good things out of our infertility experience? Can God bring really good things out of me losing a job, losing my sense of identity? Absolutely. I know that firsthand. Yeah. Can God bring... Do, do we know what the James family experience is going to look like 10 years from now, 20 years from now? And maybe how Kara Kay is just that much more um, tenderhearted toward mm. people suffering because of what she has gone through. Absolutely. Right. God can prepare us in the cave. Um, did God send David to the cave? Did God strip David of his wife and his home and his counselor and his friend? And I don't think he did. There's no, there's nothing in scripture that says God took all that away from him to, to prove a point or to teach him something. But the flip side we can bank on is look what God did out of the darkness. Look what God did to redeem. Um, you know, we're going to hear from RJ in just a few minutes, the interview. Did God, did God cause RJ to drink and drive repeatedly and get addicted and, um, destroy his marriage and those kind of things. Um, I, I don't, I don't, RJ would say, no, I did that. Yeah. <laughs> that was my sin. Right. You know, if you say there's a reason for everything. Yeah. My sin is mm. what caused those awful destructive things. Um, so forgive me, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting and I don't know if I'm circling the runway <laughs> here trying to, to finish my thought, but I think that there's a difference between believing that God is behind everything, including the pain. That's different than believing what I think is more biblically accurate. God can bring good out of anything. God can prepare us and teach us things in the dark, in the pain that he maybe couldn't otherwise because we're just, we're hard hearted and, and we need to break before we can receive what we need from him at times. Um, I'll land the plane with this. I think about my kids. I don't want anything bad to happen to my kids. I don't want their hearts to break. I don't want them to suffer physically. I have four daughters. I don't want them to be taken advantage of by men. All those things. Right. Um, I want them to marry wonderful young men someday assuming they get married and have healthy and whole lifelong relationships with each of those four men and all those things. And all at the same time, I know because my biggest, most incredible, helpful lessons were out of my pain. I've also got to be kind of okay with as my daughters mm -hmm. suffer, God is going to bring good out of that. Um, I don't believe he's a jokester and a, and a cruel God who's going to give them pain. But I think he's going to be with them in the pain and in the fallen world they live in. And, yeah. and I trust teach them things that they may, maybe they wouldn't otherwise learn. Um, oh, that's hard to say out loud as a dad. Yeah. You know, don't oh, you yeah. want to just protect your kids from all of the course. bad stuff? Yeah. Um, but you know what? I wouldn't be pastoring today. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have given 15 years of my life to teenagers 
in ministry with Young Life and the church if if I hadn't made some awful choices and God brought really good things out of my adolescence mm. um, and my my rebellion. And so I, I'm not glorifying that awful the awful choices I made or the pain I inflicted on others, but I am celebrating, man, look what God did anyway. Yeah. Look at his grace. Well, um, getting into, uh, into the cave as, as David did, and then looking to God to, to pull him out of it is obviously what we would hope that any of, any of us would do. Um, so as David as David starts to look to God and he moves on from that, looking looking to the uh, to the future, what what can we expect next coming up in the story of David? If at all you are encouraged by the brokenness of David, uh, the next couple of weeks will be helpful as well, because uh, we're just going to look more into the the contrast in the duplicity of David. That's probably a good way of saying it. Anybody out there feel duplicitous? Anybody out there feel like one moment you're you're really kind and generous and um, doing well in life in general, and the next moment, all in the same day, you can be such a turd, as my little <laughs> my youngest likes to say. Um, you know what? You're right. I'm right there with you, and and I think the next couple of weeks we're going to see the way David struggle with that same duplicity hmm. of, of a real faith, a real dependence on God, and a, a struggle with hedonism, a struggle with this is what I want for me right now in the moment. And so I, I, I think the next couple Sundays are going to be really helpful. And then can I go ahead and give this teaser? No, oh, you know what? I'm going to hold it back. I'm going to hold it back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> to tease about the tease. Easter Sunday, we're still talking about David. Put that in your pipe and smoke on it for a little bit. Just uh, how are we going to talk about David on Easter Sunday? Uh-huh. I'm looking forward to that. I'm excited already about okay. about that, especially for our friends that I trust will will have will come with us to church that Sunday. Uh, some of our friends that will have just have just not been to church in a while that will come back on Easter Sunday with their families. Uh, I think we're going to meet them right where they are in a in a creative way with with more about David. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, not to load this up, but we have a uh, an interview to get to. Anything else on your mind before we jump to that? Nope. Let's do it. Okay. Well, this has been the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information about Colonial at colonialchurch.com, or you can go get our app from the App Store, the Google Play Store. That one's uh, better. You should do that. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys, so send us your questions and your feedback, podcast at colonialchurch.com. Um, we always want that stuff. We always want to involve what you guys are thinking about and you're praying about and you're questioning in what we talk about here. So thank you for listening, and we will pick up the conversation again next week. For now, let's get to the interview with RJ. Bear with us on the audio. It was recorded through Zoom, so it's a little bit different than normal, and Lauren has his early morning voice, but let's get to that interview. RJ, thanks again for uh, your time. Uh, a good friend to me from a distance, and it seems like more and more a blessing to our little church in North Texas, Southern Oklahoma. Um, I want to dive in and and talk to you about Ukraine because sure. while it's on the brain of all of us, of course, world events, uh, it's also you know a distant, uh, surreal. Uh, idea in a lot of ways. We're not there. We don't know people there. Most of us, I certainly don't. 
um, you have been to Ukraine. You have you have friends in Ukraine. Uh, if you don't mind, talk for a couple of minutes to our folks that know nothing about global action, including uh, your friendship with Rick and his role there, because a lot of our folks know Rick Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about, uh, I guess, just tell us what your connection is to Ukraine and and where your heart is these days. Okay, let me start with a broad statement about what we do at Global Action. Um, Putting it simply, we train pastors and Christian leaders in really hard places around the world, Uh, Latin America, uh, India. And we've been actually been in Ukraine for about 20 years, and we've trained nearly a thousand pastors and uh, Christian leaders. Um, We've also provided um, considerable resources to work with uh, 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 children, uh, orphans, and Roma children in, orf- uh, in camps uh, throughout the year. Um, so I've been there since 2016, and um, I, love, I love working with our Eastern Europe, European um, director, Igor Grishayev, Uh, whom I've known during these last seven years. Um, I've grown to love the people of Ukraine, and I especially love Igor and his wife, Tanya. Uh, Wonderful people, love the Lord, love the ministry. So this this for me has been just really painful to watch what's going on. Um, We're keeping in contact with Igor daily, uh, mostly through Lionel, our executive director, and uh, he's keeping in in touch with his um, his pastors around the country. And you've been over there, obviously, firsthand, uh, mm-hmm. at least a handful of times, correct? I have. I've, uh, I've taught um, several times, mostly in Western Ukraine, in Lviv, where Igor lives, uh, lived. He since has, has uh, shifted uh, to the border. Uh, but yeah, uh, the, the people there are amazing. Uh, they love the Lord. Uh, they they love democracy, um, mm. and they're tough. They are tough. Mm. Tell us what you know about your your friends specifically. I know you've you've told me in recent past about people fleeing, trying to get people out. Um, I think you mentioned, you know, some some older folks that just can't can't move, can't go anywhere, and they're just hunkered sure. down. What, what can you tell us about your, 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 your friends that you know well? Yeah, um, uh, in terms of Eager's immediate family, um, his uh, two sons are with him now on the, on the border uh, near the Hungarian-Slovakia border, still in Ukraine. As of the last Thursday, uh, Eager sent his wife, his, daughter, uh, um, his daughter-in-law, Slava's uh, wife and granddaughter uh, to Hungary. So they're uh, now in, uh, in a little town in the middle of Hungary. Tanya, Igor's wife's mother, uh, is still in a little town near the Russian border, hunkered down in a, a makeshift bunker in a basement. Um, and I think that's where Tanya's sister is as well. Uh, Igor has a daughter, uh, Alice, and she and her husband are stuck in Odessa. So as soon as the fighting began, uh, thankfully, Dominic and Slava, their two sons, were able to make their uh, dangerous journey east, west to be with Eager. Mm. So uh, they're definitely in. Uh, things are shifting. When uh, this first started, uh, Eager and the other pastors were uh, devoting all their attention to helping refugees 
uh, get out of Ukraine at the Polish, Slovakia, and Hungarian borders. Um, what Igor told me is that um, many of our pastors uh, that graduated from our program have taken their families to the border, and then they've turned around and gone back into the war zone to care for their uh, congregations. Last week, Igor sent me a, uh, a video of uh, one of our congregations in Kharkiv, which is one of the most bombed out cities. And it was obvious looking at the video that um, they're not, it's not a church building, but they're in a crowded room and it's packed with people and they're worshiping God. Or you talk about humbling uh, and, and inspiring to just hear them lifting their voices. But you can look on there, you can see the look of shell shock on their faces, literally. Um, one of our pastors lost his church building uh, in Mariupol, um, and it was destroyed by a bomb, uh, by a missile. Um, I just got an update this morning from uh, Lionel, our executive director, and Eager and his team have shifted their efforts to the east because the people in Mariupol and similar areas are now starving to death. So they're doing everything they can to somehow get food to them. This is just, this is awful. RJ, I just, I trust, I trust your, you sharing this has a similar effect on, on our, our podcast listeners. You, you just, you're making it real. You know, it's not just world events. It's not just another awful situation. It's, it's our brothers and sisters in Christ suffering. It's people hunkered down, waiting uh, probably with not much hope, at least in the short term. Um, and I'm, I'm imagining as a, as a father and a husband and a pastor helping my family or trying desperately to help my family get to safety and then turning around and going back. I, I don't know if this is a leap. Uh, I, I can't help but think of Martin Luther. We, I think we talked about this even during the pandemic. Didn't Martin Luther speak to the role of Christians in the, in the midst of the plague. Um, and are you, are you tracking where I'm going with this and, and where yeah, I'm not all? sure. Yeah. It, it may have been Martin Luther, but I know the conversation. Um, yes. And I think you're probably right. Yeah. And his response is you take care of yourself, but you, you, you minister. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, I think that was one of the, the loudest testimonies in that time frame was Christians going back in or, or staying. I think that was the big deal is, is stay, stay and help, um, yep. which is always tough. I mean, there's, there's a strong argument to, to flee and to seek safety and to care for your people in that way. In that way. Um, obviously, there's an argument to, to turn around and fight. Uh, which I know. Uh, let let I, me to that to that point, Lauren. Let me. Sorry for interrupting you, but let no, me address ahead. address you to that point. Uh, when you know Igor, uh, or when the Russians first invaded, Igor and his son uh, went down and signed up hmm. uh, for the reserves, so that if the war came west, uh, they were ready to fight. Igor actually is 59 years old. He is only a couple months for being exempt from military service. And yet they were, they're willing to uh, put everything on the line for the sake of their country. Our New Testament professor uh, signed up. And, and as far as I know, he's at war, but he, wow. he's fighting. And he just felt like that's what God was calling him to do. 
And I, I look at the courage of these Ukrainians. Uh, they are they are amazing. They're, um, Putin is, is very wrong in thinking that they would go down easily. They love their democracy. They love their country. And uh, you can see that in their president and his resolve. And the people of Ukraine share that same resolve. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing us a little personal insight into what's going on over there. Um, I'll bet we can speculate the answer to this question, but I'll ask you this. How can we here in America, how can we be praying? Uh, How can we consider other ways we might help? Um, At least in the short term, long term, I'm sure some things will become more evident to us. But what are your what are your two cents on how we can pray and or uh, do anything else? Sure. Um, First of all, uh, and, and I know this firsthand from both Igor and his wife, Tanya, because I texted her um, the other day and she, she and both, both she and Igor both said that they are, they can feel the power of prayer. They can feel how God is surrounding them with his presence. So, you know, the easy thing to do is that, you know, we, when this whole thing hit, you know, we pray and we pray. And then as time goes by, um, you know, it, it just, for whatever reason, we, we stop praying or we don't pray as much. Uh, we need to be praying all the time uh, for these folks in Ukraine. Um, and they know it. They feel it. Um, uh, you can go to our website, globalaction.com, and you can, um, you can hear, watch uh, an interview with Eager. And, he can, and we're trying to keep updated uh, as much as we can when eager is available to do that. So, mm, great. you know, and as, as God leads, you can provide uh, resources uh, through our website. Um, as of today, we're still able to uh, send uh, financial resources to Igor and he's dispensing them and is able to do so all over the country still to our pastors. Mm. So uh, we're just doing as much as we can to uh, support them financially. Mm. That's fantastic, Arthur. You're a great resource in a lot of ways, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to underestimate the difference uh, we can make through prayer. I don't want to underestimate the difference we can make specifically through. I want to say Igor from all the movies I've watched, but it's Eager, right? I hear you it's saying eager. it differently. Eager, yeah. eager. Um, <laughs> but but through Global Action and Eager's role there, uh, there are a lot of churches, uh, a lot of pastors that uh that he can can touch and influence and bless and encourage and so that's that's great rj thank you for that Um, absolutely i want to shift gears because while i've got you uh i really enjoyed my conversation with you just a few days ago uh when i told you we're teaching through the the life of david and uh trying to soak up some some lessons for ourselves from what we see god doing in through david in the old testament and I, I mentioned David going into the cave of Adullam, and I saw your eyes light up. I saw you get excited. <laughs> and so I would, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, what, what role does that story play in your life? Um, and, and talk to our folks that, that you don't have to retell your story, obviously, but, but talk to our folks who, who don't have context for why Dave, David in the dark, as I referred to him on Sunday, um, why does that, why is that such a, a, a big lesson for you, a strong narrative in your life? 
yeah, yeah. Thank you for uh, for asking that. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great story. That's uh, I believe found in First Samuel twenty two. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that just absolutely leaped off the page uh, when I read that, if you recall, I was in jail at the time on my way to prison. Um, I had lost my ministry and we had started our little Bible study there. Uh, uh, but this is what I read in the first couple verses. So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt, who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. And I I just, I couldn't help but smiling when I read that because I thought, I'm in good company. (laughs) Because now I'm I'm surrounded with with, uh, men who are in trouble uh, and I get to come alongside them and support them. And I'm not the pastor coming in from the outside. I'm dressed in in, uh, stripes just like they are. And so, you know, God used that experience for me in at a couple of levels. One is that it, for me, it redefined uh, what a pastor is. You know, you're just you're dressed in stripes like everybody else. But it was also a reminder to me what the church is. You know, we're just we're broken. We're messed up. We're sinners. And yet we get to gather together and. And see what God's going to do. That will preach. That will preach. I'm, I've obviously known you a long time and, and only since well after you got out of prison and, and back on your feet, so to speak. I know you mentioned recently you're 16 years sober um, and God has redeemed so many aspects of your life with uh, new marriage, with new ministry opportunities, um, still living in the wake. Of, of consequences of, of choices and things like that. Uh, there's so much to learn from this. Let me put you on the spot. And tee, let me just tee it up for you. I, I know one of my main takeaways from, from David in the dark there in that cave and what happened next was just this belief that uh, when God, when we find ourselves in the dark, that, that we're right where God wants us. Uh, we're right where he can change us. What are your thoughts, especially to our folks, maybe now or very recently, have been in very difficult places or are in very difficult places? What, what does it look like to reframe that and, and be teachable and, and be, be open to what God wants to, to teach us in those, those dark, damp cave places? Yeah. Um, maybe even personalize you know, it a little bit for you, you know. Sure. You know, and let me go back to what I just said about the encouragement from the first couple of verses there. And it's going to sound like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to contradict what I just said. Okay. But the, the, the hope, you know, that that passage gave me um, from a, from a larger perspective was just a small hope because mm. um, you know, from a larger perspective, you know, I, I recognized what I had done. You know, I knew that I had, uh, my darkness was my own fault, putting it bluntly. And, uh, and I was in my own wilderness, mm-hmm. as David was. Um, mm-hmm. He was fleeing from Saul, and, uh, and he was in his wilderness, an experience that would, I think he would, he would grow immensely from. And one of the main things, and you see that uh, fleshed out in another experience in a cave a little bit later on, where he's still in a, just a completely trusting God uh, space, 
Um, if I can, if I can uh, swing back around to Ukraine for a second, um, I was able to catch uh, Igor and Tanya literally as they were walking out of the door of their uh, beautiful home in uh, Lviv. And I'll never forget what Igor said. And I could see the fear on his face. Um, I could hear it in his voice, but I could also hear the resolve. And, and, and when he said this, uh, I could see Tanya nodding. He said, what we're learning is what we're experiencing is what trusting God is really all about. Mm. And I thought, yikes. So true, because there are times in life when, when we're in the dark, when all the outer props that we depend on are gone, gone. Our hope is waning. And yet these are the times when, as A.W. Tozier put it really well, it's either God or complete collapse. And, um, and that, was, that was true for David, but that would, that would serve him well because that would become foundational from then on. It's often those cave experiences, those dark times uh, when we can't see six feet in front of our face. In fact, we can't even see our hand two inches from our face that uh, we experience the, I guess the assurance, maybe not emotional assurance, but the deep down conviction that God's got this and God's got us and that we can, that we can trust him for. But those lessons are, are hard, especially here in our, First world comfort. Does that make sense? Absolutely, RJ. Thank you for that. You're preaching to me. You're preaching to me. Thank you for that. That's encouraging. That's sobering. Um, yeah, it's not faith when things are easy and smooth. It's it's faith. It's 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 this is what trusting God looks like. I'm picturing them walking out of their, as you said, a really nice, beautiful home, not knowing if they're ever going to see it again, not knowing if they're yeah. ever going to live in that community again, not knowing if they're going to survive and recognizing this, this is what trusting God looks like. Um, yep. mm, thank you for that. Uh, well, thank you for your time, RJ. Uh, Thank you for, for sharing about your friends over there in Ukraine and our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we can just, I think you've called us up and out to pray more diligently for them. Uh, thank you for the, the resource to, to check out globalaction.com and see how we can continue to, to watch and pray and maybe even contribute. Um, I know Brooke, our, our pastor of City and Global, uh, oh my goodness, I'm messing up his title. He's, he's laughing at me right now. <laughs> pastor of City and Global Engagement. There we go. He's our outreach okay. pastor. I know that, I know that he uh, will check that out as well and see if there's a role our church as a whole can play uh, in that. And then um, I thank you for, for being my own David in the dark friend. Uh, I Absolutely. mentioned yesterday that my favorite people are those who've been in the dark. Uh, it's not that I don't love folks who seem to be skating pretty, pretty pain-free through life. I do, but there's something unique about the brokenness that we experience that does lead to that, a whole different level of trust and, and, and learning uh, that I just value so much. Yeah, that's one of the, the biggest blessings you are to me. Um, so um, pray for our Celebrate Recovery ministry, RJ. I know that's dear to you. I know you've had a hand in helping us restart that here at Colonial. Um, we had a 
one of our key leaders on stage with me yesterday sharing in the context of David in the Dark, just sharing about the opportunity for people to be a part of CR. So would you please continue to pray for, for CR here in our city? I will. Uh, and specifically what we're trying to do at Colonial. Thank you so much. All right, that was RJ Kerper, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> Love you, buddy. Love you too, Lauren. God bless. All right.